Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, Wonderful to be um, speaking this morning. We're continuing our Bound series, and we've been looking at what are the strongholds in our nation that hold us back from truly honoring God and truly honoring each other? What are the things that Satan has so um, swept into our culture that we blinkered, sometimes miss them. And this morning, I have been delighted this week to have been given fear and anxiety. Um, So as I'm sure you can imagine, that's been a uh, wonderful preparation for me. Um, I don't know what you think of when you hear the words anxiety and fear. For me, probably transports me into the seat of the dentist's chair. And uh, I don't know, do we have any dentists here this morning? I'm about to offend you. I'm so sorry. I know you probably get this from everybody, but uh, for me, the dentist is possibly one of the worst anxious places for me to be. I absolutely hate it. I uh, had to go to the dentist this week, and my dentist is lovely. He tries to distract me with stories of the Lake District. I grew up there. He goes on holiday there, so every time he talks to me about the Lake District, and uh, yes, but still the dentist chair. Perhaps for some of you thinking about the word anxiety and fear, you're immediately thinking the tax return that I haven't done yet, the exam that I am yet to take, the particular life issue that I am facing. It's easy as a Christian when we hear the word fear as well to think fear of God. And I guess what I feel the Lord has asked me to bring this morning is not necessarily so much to do with the fear of God, although that probably is a stronghold in our nation in that there is no fear of God. Um, But I would like to talk about the way that perhaps Satan has so bound us to fear in this nation. The reality is that fear is a very normal human emotion. And probably everybody at some point in the room this week has been anxious or worried about something. This is completely normal. Most of our fears are quite rational. We fear lack because we actually don't have a lot of money. We worry about our children because we love them and we want them to be safe. And we know that the world, and we can see that the world isn't necessarily always a safe place to be. These are normal human emotions. And fear can also be a healthy thing. Fear prevents us jumping off cliffs or helps us be careful when climbing up tall ladders. Fear stops the small child reaching out to touch the fire. Fear stops us doing stupid. But the reality in our nation is that fear has spiraled out of control because on the back of our natural inclination to fear as a protective mechanism to stop us doing stupid, Satan rides roughshod and he uses our fear to keep us bound. Fear tells us, this might just be me, but I think some of you might identify with this, that we will never be good enough, that we will not amount to anything, that we are not in control, and therefore we need to control whatever is easily accessible to us, our eating patterns, our relationships, our physical possessions. Fear stops us taking risks, having adventures, stepping out into the things of the new. Fear isolates us and leaves us unable to trust ourselves and each other. 
fear paralyzes us from living in the moment. And if that sounds familiar, um, that's because there is fear in the church as well as in the nation. Fear is at the root of our addictions, of our eating disorders, of our manipulative relationships, of our struggles for power. I came across this quote as I was preparing this week from a German pastor called, I'm going to try and pronounce it for you, Martin Nimola. Very good. Well done, Anna. Um, <laughs> he first met um, Hitler in 1933 and he stood at the back of the room and he listened to Hitler speaking and when he went home his wife said to him what did you learn husband and he said to her Herr Hitler is a terribly frightened man fear at the root of so many other things and the media doesn't necessarily make this any easier if we look at the slide personal fear and individual worry gets amplified in our stories of economic recession, global warming, terrorism in the Middle East. Fear makes us create sophisticated investment plans, elaborate security systems, legislate stronger military. And if you weren't worried when you came into the room this morning, you are now, because I've just told you all about it. But the truth is that God's good intentions as a father towards us this morning Jesus does not want us to walk in fear. He came so that we would walk in freedom, not fear. It actually is that simple. Jesus wants us to walk in freedom, live in freedom, not fear. We have a God whose will for us is not that we would walk in bondage to anxiety and fear, but in power, in love and self-discipline. And the word that I felt God gave me this morning was actually that he calls us in the face of fear in a nation to be a people of courage. And we're going to look a bit at what that might look like. I don't think it necessarily looks like we're never anxious ever again. (laughs) But Jesus calls us to be a people of courage. And I think if we're ever going to see this stronghold of fear dismantled in our nation, then it starts with us as the people of Christ stepping out as a people of courage, learning to walk in a different way, trusting our Father. Did you know that the most common command in Scripture is do not be afraid? Do not be afraid. I don't know if that surprises you. Luke 4.18, Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough problems of its own. So in the face of all of these instructions, you'd think it would be fairly simple. We should probably all act a bit like Bob Marley. Don't worry, be happy. I've been working on my Jamaican accent all week and unfortunately it didn't get anywhere. But the reality is that's not really that helpful, is it? I think don't worry don't be afraid, is probably one of the most difficult commands in scripture. The truth is in that in the church, the way sometimes we've taught on worry and fear has most unhelpfully contributed to us feeling guilty about being fearful or worried. Because the culture of fear that exists in our church is often so deeply connected to a culture of shame and silence. Jesus says, don't worry, so therefore if I'm worrying, I must be letting God down and can't really tell anybody about it and I just need to pray harder and try harder and I just need to stop worrying, I just need to stop it, I just, 
Just stop it. Just stop worrying. I'm not a real Christian. And perhaps this leads to adverts like this being taken in perhaps the wrong way. Don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Need to work on their communication skills, don't they? And I just have a sense that um, God wants to really dismantle some of that stuff in us this morning for us because he loves us. He wants to speak into these things, but also for the sake of the nation because he did not create his children to live in fear and to walk in anxiety. And um, I see God coming this morning and just knocking over some of that shame and silence, letting us see it for what it truly is. That he is here, he is present. In the middle of our fears and anxieties, he doesn't leave us, he is faithful. Scripture doesn't promise us a kind of happy, clappy, rainbow cloud, Bob Marley experience when we give our lives to Jesus. But he does promise us a saviour who walks with us in our suffering and in our hardship and has things to say about the way that we think and therefore the way that we act. So... That was my introduction. We're going to read together from Mark 14. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles with me, that would be fantastic. Mark 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples... Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. While he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let me just pray for us as we come around God's word this morning. Father, um, we thank you that we have a saviour who is able in so many ways to identify with our weaknesses and our fears and our sorrows. And we pray, Father, that you would speak this morning. We ask, Lord, for your comfort and for your challenge. Would you come, Holy Spirit? We welcome you. Amen. So um, this is a passage where Jesus has, is facing fear 
Okay, he's facing the um, certainty of suffering that he knew was going to happen, and he is fearful. And this passage kind of surprised me. It's easy to think of Jesus as, um, you know, this perfect person who, like, never did anything wrong and definitely didn't use any bad words and kind of had everything sorted and nothing ever really phased Jesus in the middle of the storm. Quiet, be still. (laughs) But here in the garden, I think we see something quite different. And so what I want to look at this morning, what did Jesus do in the face of fear? How did he remain boundless? Because the scripture says he was deeply distressed and troubled. And Luke's gospel, Dr. Luke, he records him as actually sweating tears of blood. That is a physical condition. I checked out with a medic that actually happens when someone is deeply, deeply anxious and their heart rate rises to such a point truly troubled i love the way the message puts it sometimes the message just gets to the depth of it he says he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony this is real suffering and fear so what did jesus do in the face of fear and how might that help us as we face the reality of our human emotions fear and anxiety jesus number one faces the father facing the certainty of suffering that he knew was going to happen jesus goes to pray to his father and he calls him abba father this is the words of a son of a child coming to their daddy in true distress it's not kind of like far off remote i will kneel here and i will talk to my father it's 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 a child in distress coming to sit on their father's knee sobbing about the situation that they are facing jesus faced the father and like any kid facing bad stuff we've all been there and done this jesus asks the father to take it away take the bad stuff away father i don't i don't want to face it dad and when we face fear continually perhaps because we're walking through a particular difficulty um, or there's trauma currently in our lives it can seem very difficult sometimes to face the father because we have to choose um, to trust and to believe that he is good and there's, there's things that can help with that but fear can so often corrode our confidence in God's goodness and if we sense that we're not hearing from him make us feel like does he really love me is he really here and so i think we have a lot to learn from jesus in this passage jesus doesn't necessarily we don't see it recorded in the scripture and the father appeared and gave him a big hug and everything was fine no jesus kept on facing the father kept on calling out to his dad facing the father And that's um, why it's important that we learn from Jesus here. Did you know that it is completely okay to come to Jesus, come to the Father with all of your questions and all of your doubts and all of your fears? These things don't faze him. Jesus didn't just face the Father, he faced the Father honestly. So secondly, as we face fear, as we choose not to be bound by fear, get honest Stop pretending to God that everything is fine. I'm walking through this situation, but I'm completely okay about it. And I'm just going to block off any of the emotions to do with it. And um, I'll come to church on a Sunday and just quit, quit doing that. God's big enough to hear you out. Get honest. 
with God. It's nearly impossible to offend him in prayer. He's got tough boots. And this is what we see Jesus doing. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with trouble to the point of death. Basically, I think I'm going to die. I mean, things don't really get any worse than that. Jesus, brutally, brutally honest before the Father. Jesus also gets specific. So identify your cup. Identify your cup and talk to God about it. Expose your fears. Call them out. Name them. List them before the Father. Make them stand before God. This is the first step in freedom. Expose them for what they are. I heard um, this great story the other week. I was down in Sheffield at a conference. And um, it's a great story anyway, but it also serves to slightly illustrate the point I'm making. So I thought I'd share it with you this morning. Um, So I've been part of this learning community looking at how to grow the prophetic in the local church. And there was another guy there from another church. So lots of different churches come. And this was one of the other leaders. And he um, shared this story. He heads up, he's actually the assistant pastor, I think, at this church, and he, um, uh, he uh, was really quite disappointed and disgruntled with God because the two main prophetic voices in his church that he had been discipling and growing and kind of encouraging in their gifts to serve in the church had left the church and gone somewhere else. And so bitterly, he says, bitterly, I came before the Lord. I was like, what are you doing? You're ruining my ministry. And, uh, which is always a fun thing to say to God. Um, cause he's always got something up his sleeve. And so, um, he gets honest, gets honest with God firstly about the situation. And, um, he just sensed God say, you know, it's okay. I've, I've got it. And, um, the next day he gets a phone call from, this woman who sounds slightly off her head and she says to him I uh, really need to speak to you because I've been receiving revelations from St. John and uh, I just sense there are things in your church that we need to deal with and uh, just lots of other slightly out there crazy things that she said and he was like oh I suppose I should meet her for coffee you know it's what the pastor's supposed to do etc etc and so he meets her for coffee and um basically gets the opportunity to share with her the gospel about Jesus and truly what it looks like to hear the father's voice and she becomes a Christian and it turns out she is actually the leader of the local spiritualist church and she goes back to her spiritualist church and tells them all about Jesus and that they really need to give their lives to him and half of them become Christians and suddenly this man has a whole host of prophets in his church because they're all used to listening They just needed to learn to listen to the father. But the thing about the story that that I guess here particularly strikes me is it started with him actually getting really honest before God. And that didn't necessarily mean that he said the right things. What are you doing? You're ruining my ministry. Um, But it started with him being real about his fears, what what that was going to look like with these people leaving. God, where are you? Why aren't you answering? What are you doing? I don't understand. So dealing with fear, let's get honest. It's when we face our fears and expose them for what they are that we make them stand up before our Father and that we learn what it is to receive his perspective, kind of like his glasses, his eyesight. 
in a nation bound by fear, we're called to be a people of courage. And people of courage have incredible eyesight. They have the eyesight of their father. They have the perspective of their father. Because when we live according to our own human eyesight, and if any of you wear glasses, you might easily um, understand this, we get discouraged. Things are a bit fuzzy. We don't necessarily always live by God's agenda. But when we choose God's perspective, the equation always changes. And that's, for example, with David and Goliath. Saul and the army looked at Goliath and they said, impossible. We can't, we can't even deal with that. That's just impossible. They got discouraged. They let the nation be bound over to fear. But David turns up. David, who's been walking with the Lord and learning what it is to walk with the perspective of his father. And he says, no problem. No problem. We didn't quite say no problem, but you get me. He said, um, with the Lord, this is the Lord's victory. He saw it for what it truly was. How? Because he'd spent time training his eyes. He'd spent time putting on those glasses of perspective, time in the sheep fields, tuning his harp, worshipping the Lord, learning what it was to, um, to walk in victory, to defeat the lion. He, it meant that when he faced fear, he didn't face fear on his own, but he faced it with his father. And likewise, Jesus... What we see here is that Jesus had a lifetime of learning to be honest before the Father, training his eyes so that he could bank upon those things in this moment of anguish. Hebrews 5 verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears, with honesty. So, how do we do that? How do we so feed our eyes and our faith that we see with God's perspective. Well, I'd like you all to raise a hand to me with your five fingers. Fantastic. We've all got hands here this morning. Great. Okay, you can put them in your lap. You might want to take your other hand and just hold your first thumb. I can't do it with the microphone. Okay, so kind of hold your thumb like this. This is a wonderful exercise that you can do in moments of um, learning to receive God's perspective, but also in moments of panic and, tr- and fear. Jeremiah, Lamentations 3, 21, 24. Basically, in this passage, he's been kind of benoning what's going on in his life and getting a bit down in the dumps about it. Pretty honest stuff. But then he chooses to focus on his father. He chooses perspective. And happily, these five things fit onto the five fingers of our hands. How wonderful is that? So the first thing, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases the first finger. Okay, grab finger number two. His mercies never come to an end. Number three, they are new every morning. And if you're like me, you've probably got the song in the head and you're thinking, new every morning, new every morning. Number four, great is your faithfulness, oh God. And then number five, the Lord is my portion. These are truths that just quite simply just... By pressing each finger, we can remember this is the perspective, God with us. God's faithfulness to us. God's presence alongside us. People of courage recognize the presence of God with them in the middle of their fear. And they choose his perspective. That's why Jesus could pray, not my will, but yours. What do you want, Father? 
So, face the Father, get honest. Look for community. Jesus here looks for community because people of courage know that they can't do this facing the Father and getting honest on their own. We have to look for community. Jesus um, comes to Gethsemane in fear and distress, but just a few verses previously, he's been in the upper room with his disciples, having a meal, chilling out, and he initiates there the Lord's Supper, this wonderful, beautiful, loving illustration of what it looks like to be in the community of God's people. They've been sharing a meal together. Love here is demonstrated And it is the worship and love in this community that Satan opposes with the fear dripped on Jesus. It's what Jesus is initiating, a way to the Father, a way to relationship with other people, a way to an end to fear in eternity, an end to all suffering. Jesus knows this, and so he goes to Peter, Paul, Peter, James, and John to get honest about his fear and to ask for their help. And we are called to the same. So verbalize your fear. Talk to other people about it and hope that they stay awake a bit longer than Peter and the others. This is what we are made for. Don't stay alone with your fear because they would happily paralyze you to isolation. And I think for me, looking back at a time in my life where I was incredibly anxious for a season, actually the most wonderful thing um, was actually just the love of people around me. That was the best medicine. That was the way in which I was able to face the father and get honest. It was because I had family and friends who stood by me and said, Hannah, we love you and we are for you. And Father God loves you and is for you. I had friends who came around at seven o'clock every morning before breakfast just to pray with me for half an hour for three whole weeks. And they were students, so it was quite impressive. Um, but the unconditional love of a community is perhaps some of the greatest medicine for the fearful heart. Look for community. And lastly, Jesus, um, Jesus walks forward. We don't um, necessarily see any big resolution to Jesus' fear, his experience in the garden his Gethsemane moment. But what we see is Jesus choosing, setting his heart towards the will of the Father. He just gets on with it. Jesus is given strength by the Holy Spirit, not to escape, not to run away, not for something else to happen, but to stand in the middle of the storm. And so Jesus can walk forward. That's verse 41, 42, enough. The hour has come. Rise. Let us go. Jesus faces and says, all right, okay. And becoming, um, I think becoming a people of courage in a nation of fear doesn't necessarily mean that we will never be fearful, that we'll never have things to worry about or be anxious about. Trusting God doesn't always mean that our emotions and our feelings are rock sure. But it does mean that in our weaknesses, that we are trusting God to be God. Courage might panic, but it chooses to pray. Courage might moan, but it chooses to believe. Courage might sweat and dither, but it moves forward with faith. The storm 
might not necessarily seize in our lives, but our discouragement will certainly wane when we choose these four things as Jesus chose to face fear, facing the Father, getting honest, finding community, walking forward. Jesus, um, I think probably this is the greatest fear battle that Jesus faced in his life, Mark 14. He was about to take on the sinfulness and the sickness and the sorrowfulness of the whole history of the world and the future, incredibly, in this one moment. He was about to bear the justice of God upon his own physical body, and Carl's going to speak a bit about that this evening. What is the justice of God? Who is this God? But today, the fact that Jesus walked forward um, has huge, huge significance and implication for the way that we ourselves can face fear, or indeed face life. And this is the message of the Easter story. God is with us. God is for us. God does not leave us in our suffering. God does not leave us on our own, but he is here. He is present. His love is present. Right, Even right here in this auditorium this morning, he is here and he loves us. His will is not for us to live in fear. So whether we're someone who just worries occasionally, gets fearful kind of sometimes, whether we're someone who worries a lot, or whether we're someone who lives with severe fear and debilitating anxiety, this is still true. He is here. He is present. He does not leave you in those moments. You are not alone. And so um, I've left quite a bit of time because um, what I'd love us to do is just spend some time in the presence of God. Um, just noting perhaps those, that five finger exercise, you might like to take the time as the band do that song just to walk that through. Perhaps there are things that you would um, love just someone to come alongside you, that community that we were talking about in prayer. Um, the prayer ministry team will be over to my right and they would love just to pray with you through um, anything that would be helpful really. If you um, particularly um, have resonated with some of the things that I've talked about this morning, you know that you maybe grapple with worry and anxiety in a more severe way, then I would love to recommend this book to you. Um, It's really quite brilliant. Also, the author is a friend of mine. Um, It's called The Worry Book um, by Dr. Rob Waller and Will van der Hart. And um, they run a website called Mind and Soul, the addresses just up there. This is a really, really great book looking at how to deal with worry in a kind of everyday um, situation. I definitely recommend it. You can get it from Amazon, the worry book. And secondly, um, we do run a very good counselling service here at Central and Suzanne Batan kind of heads that up. If you think um, you'd like to access that, then the details are available on the website or on cards which are out in the foyer. Or particularly, to be honest, any of the issues that we've covered in Bound, we've been talking about the big picture of strongholds in the nation. But often what God does when we talk about those things is he deals with them individually in our hearts. So if you know you've maybe got a bit stuck with something that God has been saying to you or dealing with you, Um, then Suzanne would be more than happy to have a chat with you about what accessing some of the help in our community 
would look like. So why don't we stand together and um, I would love to just pray for us and invite the Holy Spirit to come. If the band could come out, that would be great. Walking out of fear into freedom, learning to be a people of courage, can be a second event, and we believe for that second, but it can also be the journey of a lifetime. And um, so let's just come before God um, in this moment. Father, we want to acknowledge this morning your presence with us, your goodness, your faithfulness. We thank you for Jesus and that in his moment of fear, um, that he did not turn his face from you, that he showed us what it was to face you and to be honest, that he showed us what it was to look for community and to be found amongst people who um, will love us and speak good over our hearts and our lives. And Father, we want to bring you this morning... Um, our fears, our worries, the things that are normal human emotions. (laughs) Um, We thank you that they are not hidden from you, um, that they are not um, unimportant to you, that you know us and you love us and you're present. We want to lay them down anew before you this morning. We ask, Father, that you'd help us put on perspective, put on your eyesight, that perhaps some of the ways that we have been bound to seeing our fears in a negative and um, binding way, that you would just break that off this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work. Um, Yeah, Father, I just speak to any shame, any shame in this room, and I tell it to go in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask for your love. I ask for your love to be a real tangible experience for us this morning, that we would hear anew your voice of comfort in the middle of our fear. Yeah, come Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would breathe courage anew into my brothers and sisters. Um, We pray, Father, that we would be a church of courage and boldness. That we would um, step out and take the risks and adventures that you call us to. And, um, yeah, would you breathe your courage anew? I pray, Father, for... um, people for whom adventures and visions have died because they've allowed fear and fear has taken a grip and um, Father I see you breathing a new life into them this morning I pray that they would stand yeah come Lord come Lord